Hello and thanks for joining us on Search for Truth. We have another Bible teaching talk today with Brian Johnston, our Bible teacher. It's the third talk in this six-week series from the New Testament letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Uh, Brian will be reading quite a few of the verses from Ephesians, so have your Bible ready if you want to follow. Through these studies in Ephesians, Brian is leading us into a deeper awareness of the greatness of God, which is something the Apostle Paul is wanting for his readers at the church in Ephesus. So, now let's sit back, relax and listen as Paul, through Brian, tells us more. Thanks, John. After 15 years of financing excavations in the Valley of the Kings, and with scarcely anything to show for his expenditure, Lord Carnarvon had begun to wonder if it would all prove fruitless. But then a telegram arrived. It was from Howard Carter, telling him to come to Luxor immediately. And so it was that on the 26th of November, 1922, Carter and Lord Carnarvon stood in front of the sealed door of Tutankhamun's tomb. First, Carter made a small hole in the door, and then he inserted a candle. In answer to Carnarvon's anxious question, Can you see anything? Carter famously replied, Yes, wonderful things. When the Apostle Paul began to write his letter to the Ephesians, he prayed for them that they'd see wonderful things from the truths he was about to share with them. Here's exactly what he prayed. For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The sense is, because they'd already been enlightened, Paul was praying that they'd get to know God more personally through coming to realise three facts. The hope of God's calling, the glorious riches of God's inheritance, and the surpassing greatness of God's power. What these things are is explained by what follows, especially in chapter 2. As a preacher prays before he delivers his message so that his audience may be helped to understand it, so Paul prays in the same way here. The content of his message in chapter 2 interprets for us the requests of his prayer here in chapter 1. Just before we explore chapter 2, it's perhaps worth observing that when Paul prays they'll have a deeper knowledge of God, he's talking about the kind of knowledge that comes through experience. You see, we get to know God more personally when we gain an insight into the things he desires. And these are the very things Paul begins to expand upon now as we read in Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In other words, Paul calls on these believers to remember what they once were. They once were even as the rest of humanity, being once dead in their sins. But, and we thank God for that word, which we have twice here because we read, but God, and then later we read, but now. Paul describes in some detail the tremendous changes brought about by God's grace. Notice how he mentions the heavenly places, one of five mentions in this letter of an expression that's found nowhere else in our Bibles. These believers were on the earth as far as their temporal existence was concerned, but at the same time they equally belonged to the eternal realm of reality, the realm described here as the heavenly places. Down here we can distinguish between past, present and future, even as we make progress to become the person God wants us to be. But, in another sense, in the eternal realm, there's no such distinction. The great spiritual realities are already in place now, as God sees them. It's in this sense that it's revealed to us that we are raised and seated with Christ. We're emphasising overall that God's ultimate purpose is not our salvation, but rather that we should be something for him, for his glory. Previously, In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 9, God once said of his former people, Israel, that they were his portion and his inheritance. Now here in this chapter, Paul's making it clear that same racial barrier no longer applies. God is now, in this age, dealing with Gentiles on an equal footing with Jews. That's the difference that the cross has made. Jews and Gentiles together can now be something for God even while here on earth. They are fellow members of the church, which is Christ's body, which when viewed in the eternal or heavenly realm is complete and perfect. But we also see its members who are on earth, specifically those to whom Paul writes in the church of God at Ephesus, members on earth who are struggling to grasp what God intends them to become for him now. And Paul prays that they will grasp it. Paul tells this Gentile local church that they're no longer separate from Christ, nor excluded from the promises, nor strangers with neither hope nor God. Far from it. They've actually been brought, he says, into the household of God. The word used there means either family or house, and we must in every case seek out which is the correct meaning from its immediate context. Here, since this talk about building, and about a foundation, 
and a cornerstone, Paul has to be referring to the house rather than the family. That is, the house of God rather than the family of God in this instance. This is a topic, this topic of the house of God, which is of Bible-wide significance and perfectly fits the flow of thought here as Paul thinks about saved men and women being built up in the apostles' teaching to be something for God by their offering service to God in an organised and structured way, which was an expansion upon the exclusively Jewish arrangements of the Old Testament. In other words, Paul, at the end of chapter 2, begins to elaborate on what God has in mind as the present goal of our conversion experience, which is that we should become a house or temple for God on the earth. In these terms, Paul's not describing a scene in the eternal heavenly realms, but he's talking about a temporal and spiritual structure on this earth which believers, such as those in the Church of God in Ephesus, were then part of. Nowhere, in fact, does Paul ever describe the entire church, the body, as a temple. Quite the opposite. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that God's temple is capable of being destroyed, a fate which can never befall the body of Christ, as the Lord's famous words in Matthew 16 prove. The Lord said there that the gates of Hades would never prevail against his church, which is his body. But Bible-wide, the destruction of some of God's previous earthly residences is well documented. For example, at Shiloh and Jerusalem, where his temporary tabernacle and later more permanent temple had once stood. Having said that, it's curious how so many commentators simply assume Paul has nothing other than the church, the body in his sights here, even to the point that it has an impact upon the very translation of verse 21. Should it read, All the building? Or should it say every building in relation to the thing that's growing into a holy temple in the Lord? Respected Greek language authorities say conclusively that the most accurate meaning here is every building. In turn, this means we're talking about a built-up structure on earth, which is spoken about as having a foundation and a cornerstone and is overall comprised of individual buildings, but altogether forming a single temple. In other words, each local New Testament fellowship of faithful disciples, which carefully followed the Apostles' teaching, took its character from the church, the body, and together with all other local fellowships, they were the buildings of the temple, which is being described here at the end of Ephesians chapter 2. An overall spiritual temple or house, which is the New Testament answer to the Jerusalem temple after the cross. So while the temple of God and the body of Christ are different, there's a clear connection between them, of course, as the temple derives its character from the body. Obedient believers, like those to whom Paul was writing, are charged to visibly express, in microcosm, on earth, the wonderful reality of Christ's church. Sadly, we fail to do that when, throughout Christendom, we are divided by differences. So for all believers today... As those who've been enlightened at the time of their salvation, Paul's prayer here applies. Remember, he's praying that we come to experience more of God personally, and he specifies how that can happen. It's when we travel to the end of this chapter with Paul and see how we too are invited to be included in belonging to this temple made up of people, people whom God is delighted to view today as his inheritance, in the same way as he once regarded Israel as being that. 
This is the hope God wants to realise now by calling us through the gospel and it's surely a major part of the good works he's prepared for us to do before the world began to exist. All I once, how dear, built my life upon All this world reveres and wars to own All I once thought gain, I have counted loss Sent and worthless now, compared to Truly, there's no greater thing than getting to know Jesus, because we're going to spend eternity with him when this life is ended. But now, some helpful information. First, if you'd like to send for the booklet, which is the transcript of this whole series of talks, then let us have your postal address and ask for the title, Experiencing God in Ephesians. And there are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet or order through Amazon. And I'll tell you how to, uh, to get those in a moment. But first, here's our postal and our email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester, LE5, 6LN, UK. And now, our email address, sft at churchesofgod.info. As I've said, you can also download audio MP3 versions of past programmes on your computer at www.searchfortruth.org.uk. Our church website is uh, there where you can also access uh, other helpful material. And some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. That's amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and type Search for Truth series into the search box and you'll find a growing list of, of transcript books from previous programmes is available. So I hope you enjoyed today's talk and if you're following the series, you're being helped in your disciple life. We've talked number four next week, God willing, so remember to tune in, same place, same time. Until then, it's very best wishes from Bible teacher Brian, our technician David, our singers and me John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you. All I once thought again, I have counted loss, spent and worthless now, compared.